blessing it is to labor in prayer together as a church. If you would please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. Acts 14. And please stand with me out of respect for God's holy word. We'll read Acts chapter 14. We'll read up to verse 23 from verse 1. Our text tonight will be primarily verses 21 through 23. Let us read God's holy word, Acts 14. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both, that is Paul and Barnabas, they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time therefore abode they, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers, to use them despitefully, and to stone them. They were ware of it, and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and unto the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lycaonia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas, Jupiter, and Paul, Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do you these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas, to Derby, And here is where our text begins. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church, and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Let us pray together. O oh, our gracious God, we have been in your presence. 
and we continue here now. Oh, we need mighty outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We need the working of your word by the power of the Spirit. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, King of your church, come and bless us now. Be with us. Did you not say that you would be in our midst? Show it tonight, we pray, for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you very much. The title of our message tonight is Continue. Continue. This is a message for new believers to urge them to persevere all the way to glory. Jesus Christ, a man approved by God, went about doing good. He obeyed God perfectly all through his life in this sin-defiled world. Then he voluntarily laid down his life. He died the excruciating death of the cross. Just as the prophets had promised, he suffered all the fury of the wrath of his Father, God, upon himself. Then after having completed all the work that his Father gave him to do, he rose again from the dead. He became the firstfruits of a glorious new reality. The head of a new family. The last Adam and the first man of a new creation, as we heard about on the Lord's Day. He walked with his disciples for 40 days, and then he ascended up into glory. In that state of glory, he poured out gifts to men who were still in the world, again, just as the prophets had promised. And those gifts came primarily in the person of the Holy Spirit of God, symbolically poured out in flames of fire and tongue-speaking on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit brought the application of salvation to wicked sinners, converting them, regenerating them, sanctifying them, making them children of God in a sinful world. The Holy Spirit guided his apostles, inspired written scripture, overpowered God's enemies, and spread the kingdom around the world. As the glorified Jesus Christ pours out the Holy Spirit, the church is formed a living piece of the new creation in the old creation. That's where we are now, the old creation. It's still sin-cursed, still wicked. We're all born into this world with sinful natures because this is the old creation. But the church is a piece of the new creation in the old. The book of Acts, this book that we've read a small piece of, is the record of the rich gifts poured out from the God-man at the right hand of God. The rich gifts poured out from the Son of God, who, as Brother Jeff has mentioned, has been crowned Son as the God-man at the right hand of the Father. The lame walked, as we saw here, signifying that sin cripples can be made right. The blind saw, signifying that sin-darkened minds can be made clear. The Christ-hating Jews were converted, showing that religious sinners have hope in, for salvation in Jesus. Idol-loving Gentiles were converted, showing that idolatrous, heathen, pagan, idol worshipers have also hope for salvation in Jesus. The whole world is now the location of God's working. But these new people, these new creatures created by the Holy Spirit of God, created by this effect of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the world, new, a, a, a new citizenship, a new creation called the church, 
being raised up out of both Jews and Gentiles, these new people, new citizens, live still, as I already said, in this old world. The kingdom church is like an island in a stormy sea with waves always beating on its shores. The church in this sinful world is like a lump of leaven, growing, spreading, expanding, but being beat back, limited, impeded, hindered by a competing leaven in the world. But Christ said his leaven will triumph. In the book of Acts, we see, and this part that we read specifically, we see not only the triumphant Christ leading his new kingdom, but we see that the new kingdom is in conflict with the old. There is a fight, a struggle, tribulation. We see the soldiers of the cross waging war with the soldiers of the world. Brethren, the exalted Christ has been doing glorious works, as I've just described, in our day. He has been doing great salvation miracles among us. We have had hard-hearted ones softened. We have seen careless ones made serious. We have seen fearful and timid ones made bold as a lion in the day of Christ's power. Praise his name. Happy tears. Recently, we've had the great joy of seeing several young people profess faith in Christ and bear testimony to him by the ordinance of baptism. Praise our Lord Jesus Christ. We are the recipients of that same resurrection power that was demonstrated so many years ago. We are the servants of the same reigning king. I want you to think with me that our experience, new Christians, lambs in Christ, babes in Christ, your experience in this world will be the same as that of these that we read about here in Acts chapter 14. It will follow the same pattern as those who Paul ministered to in the book of Acts. If you've been recently converted, this message is for you. If you're a new believer, you get a front seat tonight. I won't make you move. But you can if you want to. And if you've walked with the Lord Jesus for many years, I trust you'll still benefit. Maybe it will prove you and me for how we have not grown as we should. This is a message of basic discipleship. Remember the title, continue, continue. We all need to be reminded of what we are about. Continue all the way to glory. You've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You have professed him in baptism publicly. Your parents are thrilled. Your siblings are happy. Your church rejoices. We give thanks to God. We, in a sense, we breathe a sigh of relief. Another soul saved. We have fought in prayer. But now should we feel free to relax and rest? We have battled to share the gospel, but now should we be quiet? Now that you have professed, you sought and sought and sought the Lord for salvation. You searched the scriptures. You thought about your soul. But now that Christ is your Savior, do you sit back and stop searching and stop seeking? Maybe 
should you get on with more important things in life or other important things and let spiritual things now just take care of themselves? Safe in Jesus? Yes. Asleep in Jesus? No. Secure in Jesus? Yes. Complacent in Jesus? No. Rejoicing in Jesus? Yes. Careless in Jesus? No. Our text here, verses 21 through 23, tells us that the Apostle Paul thought that new believers in Christ need to be confirmed and strengthened. They also need to be exhorted to continue in the faith. They needed to hear the warning, it is through much tribulation that you enter the kingdom of God. Let's read those three verses again. Paul and Barnabas were in Derbe, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So Paul revisited the new believers. They returned again. They had already been to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, but they returned. Paul and Barnabas returned to the three cities where they had recently seen new believers called out of darkness into light. These were recent converts, new disciples. Paul realized the battle for the kingdom has only just begun with newly baptized disciples. Conversion is not a retirement ceremony where you get rewarded for what you've done. It's an enlistment ceremony where you enter a new world empowered and charged by the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ. Now you are at war. Now you need to be confirmed. And we'll see that word means strengthened, exhorted, and you must persevere through tribulation as you aim for the kingdom. I don't think of myself as being very old, but I've lived long enough to see a terrible thing in the church of Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about the apostate church. I'm not talking about cults. I'm talking about the true, living, regenerate church of Jesus Christ, the church that is composed of many regenerate people. I've seen an awful thing, a dreadful thing, something that makes us all weep when we think carefully about it. Some who are baptized and make a good profession before the church and the world continue, but at a very lame and halting rate. They bear fruit, but little fruit. They make progress, but less progress than we see described in the word of God. In my time, I've also seen something worse, if there can be something worse. Some who profess the Lord Jesus Christ do not continue. They give up. They fall away. Paul, the faithful apostle, doesn't want to see anyone fail of the grace of God. He doesn't want to see any disciples slack up or fall down. He wants to see fruitful, continuing, believing, victorious Christians who continue all the way to glory. So what does he do? 
he goes back to these three cities. He goes back to the recent converts and he gives them resources for continuing. Paul revisited the new believers to give them resources for continuing. First of all, in verse 22, we see that Paul revisited them to confirm or strengthen them. And I'll give you my points ahead of time here. Paul revisited them to confirm or strengthen them. Paul revisited them to encourage them to continue in the faith. Paul revisited them to encourage them to enter the kingdom through tribulation. Paul revisited them to establish church government for their good. And Paul committed the new believers to the care of the glorified Lord. That's the assurance of their continuing. And then Paul committed the new believers to Christ's care by prayer and fasting. So let us consider these this evening. Verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples. Confirming, that word means strengthening, establishing more, adding to the support or firmness that one already has attained. You've arrived somewhere. You are not where you were some months ago or some years ago. You've reached a point. But Paul came back to the believers to add to that strength they had, to bring them along further. It's reinforcement, increasing of stability. What we can glean from that is that new disciples need confirming or strengthening. God's word views Christians as compared to common living things, plants, sheep, children. A new believer is a new believer, a seedling, a lamb, an infant. If you are a babe in Christ, you are not mature. You are weak. That is not a bad weakness. It is totally natural. You're new. You're inexperienced. You're young. You are learning. You have a lot of growing to do. Think about a little seedling just sprouted in the garden. The plant is alive but it has little to defend it against its harsh environment. It needs something, nutrients and growth, so that it will be strong. Think about a newborn baby. The infant is weak and helpless. It needs a dedicated mother and plenty of milk and hugs and kisses. The baby is very much alive, but it needs a lot before it will be running, jumping, hiking, or swimming. If you're a new believer in Christ, you're in a tender and delicate place. Christ's care is around you. His promises support you and they will not let you down. But you have a responsibility now to use resources to become stronger. So Paul, as a good shepherd, confirmed the souls of the disciples. What did Paul do to confirm or establish these new disciples? You say, well, the verse doesn't tell us a lot. It says he confirmed the souls of the disciples. He confirmed or strengthened them by fuller instruction in the glorious truth of the gospel of Christ and its applications. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, sometimes word studies are not so helpful, and sometimes word studies are helpful. And this word, strengthening, is used several times in the New Testament to describe the work of the Apostle Paul and of other believers. 
In his epistles, Paul uses this word several times, a variation of the word, but obviously similar, to describe himself or someone else coming to instruct God's people in gospel truth and its application. Let's go to the book of Romans, because in the book of Romans, Paul begins the book of Romans with this word and ends it with the word. It like bookends the book of Romans to show, hey, this is what I'm doing in the book of Romans. I'm strengthening you guys. So Romans chapter 1 and verse 11 and Paul tells them of his desire to come and see them, but his letter here is kind of like in, in place of him coming to see them. And so in verse 11 of chapter 1 in Romans, he says, For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end ye may be established. And that word established is the same underlying word. A variation of it, but it's, it's very similar. And you can look that up. It's, it's pretty straightforward. Verse 15 he tells us what he's going to do or what he was planning to do or hoping to do. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome also. How would he come and establish them? By preaching the gospel. Well, these are believers. Yeah, but they need to know more. They, we need constant strengthening from the gospel and not just the gospel in the bare facts of what Christ did, but all the outworking of the gospel. And that's what the epistles of the New Testament are. They don't just repeat the things the Gospels told us. They don't simply repeat, Christ died for your sins, rose again, and ascended up to glory. Now, that's great. The epistles say, what does that mean for your justification? What does that mean for your sanctification? What does that mean for mortifying sin? What does that mean for practical living? What does it mean for the family? What does it mean for work? What does it mean for the church? That, that's what the New Testament is all about. And so when we look at the book of Romans, we see an example of him establishing the believers. And at the end of Romans, he helps us to see, well, we see that word again, uh, verse uh, 25, Romans 16. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, and by the scripture of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith, to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. So he's gone through all of the gospel and its implications for various things in Romans. How the Jews and Gentiles relate, how people are to live in the church and how they exercise their gifts, and then how they are to respond to their brethren and their relationship with government. And at the end of it all, then he says, now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel, which is a way of saying that the things that he has spoken of are the gospel, the implications, the unfolding of the gospel, and God is able to confirm you, strengthen you in that and in the truths of the gospel. It helps us understand how he might be using that word, establish or confirm, in Acts chapter 14. It's possible you could say, well, he simply patted them on the head and said, be encouraged. But seeing what he does through the rest of the New Testament, seeing what Paul does, what does he do? Whenever he wants to encourage God's people and build them up and give them confirmation, he explains the truth of God's word. Amen. So from that, I gather that for young believers to be confirmed, this is crucial. 
strengthened in your souls, you need to learn the doctrines and practice that the word of God lays before you. If Paul revisited these cities and confirmed the, the, the disciples, confirmed the souls of the disciples, and if we see that the outworking of that confirmation is the truth of God's word, then the truth of God's word is what new believers need for their growth, strengthening, establishment. They need the Old Testament to tell them who they are, what sin is, and about God preparing the world for Christ. They need the New Testament to tell them what it means to believe and live in Christ. So, lambs, young believers, new Christians, read the word of God. Immerse yourself in it until it soaks through all your life. Love Christ in the word. Admire God's ways in his word. Fill your mind with the stories God has given us. Stories are powerful. The stories that people tell tell you what kind of people they are. Now, I have a pet peeve. People in our day, even Christians, sometimes have so filled their minds with the storylines of movies that the storyline of the Bible is fuzzy mm -hmm. and unclear to them Amen. because it's easier to remember graphics than it is to remember words. But we have to fight back by filling our mind with the story of God's word. It's through the story of the Bible that God demonstrates to us that his redemption in Christ Jesus is real, historical, believable, life-transforming, and will lead us all the way to glory. Amen. Reading a few isolated verses is not enough. You need the big story. So immerse yourself in the word of God to be strengthened, confirmed. The Bible is your book. Read it. Reread it. Reread it again until you can fit the whole Bible together. If someone says, what's the whole Bible all about? I don't want you to have to pause and fudge around. I want you to be able to say, I know what it is. Set apart some time every day to read the word of God. Pastor Jeff prayed it in his prayer that we would do so. If you don't plan, it won't happen. If you're in a Christian home, your parents will help you. They'll hold you accountable. Set a time. Immerse yourself in the word daily. But don't just read it. Study the word of God. Now, Paul exhorted Timothy to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He's primarily writing to Timothy as a man of God, a servant of the churches. But it applies to all believers to some degree. To study, to give diligence, effort to understanding the word of God. Dividing it or separating it, categorizing it, outlining it appropriately. Remember the noble Bereans often mentioned by preachers, but sadly not often imitated by any of us. When Paul and Silas went into the synagogue of the Jews to preach, the Berean listeners were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Amen. Acts 17. How do you study? So if I'm going to tell you to study, then 
You might wonder, well, how do I do it? What is study of the scripture? Well, it's a huge subject. And in 2016, Brother Jeff did a series called How to Read the Bible Well. We all might benefit by going back and listening to some of those. And if you weren't here and you didn't hear them, go back and get some of them. They're on Sermon Audio. Just listen to them. He starts with the basics and moves all the way through. We also have a short booklet produced here at Chapel Library called A Guide to Bible Study. And then we have a longer course, Methods of Bible Study. Get one of those and work through it. Just read it and do follow the, the guidelines or the, the suggestions in there. But not only for confirming and strengthening your soul in the things of God, not only should you read the Word and study the Word, but listen to the Word of God preached. And that's probably exactly how Paul confirmed and strengthened the believers in Acts chapter 14, by preaching the word of God to them. As you see later in our text, verse 23, Paul established elders in each church of these new believers. What for? For the feeding of the flock of God. What good does it do, though, for those shepherds to dish out sheep food unless the sheep gobble it up? So gobble up the sermons. Eat them up. Look forward to them. Pray about it beforehand. Pray about the sermon afterward. Apply it to your life and seek to make the preached word a major aspect of your weekly routine. We hear sermons every week. What do we do with them? Do we ever go back and think about them? Do we ever make applications from God's word to us? New believers, make a good habit on that one. Old believers, break the bad habit. Listen to the word of God. I believe it is wise to never absent ourselves from the preaching of our church unless we must be absent. But not only must we read the word, study the word, and listen to the word, we must meditate and memorize the word of God. And those are full subjects in themselves. But give yourself to the word of the living God. We'll mention more about prayer in a minute, but pray in response to the word of God. As God in his goodness speaks to you in the scriptures, speak back to him. Plan a prayer time daily and pray often throughout the day. I imagine your habit before you knew Christ was not to pray or not to pray frequently. Maybe just to pray that God would have mercy on you. But now, don't let the bad habit of prayerlessness continue. Now that you are in Christ, pray often, pray hard, And pray and rejoice in the answers that God gives. So Paul revisited these three cities and confirmed or strengthened the disciples with the truth. You need strengthening, growth, establishment. Get in the truth of God's word to be established, to be strengthened, to be confirmed. But not only does it say confirming the souls of the disciples, it also says exhorting them to continue in the faith. So Paul revisited them to confirm them and also to encourage or exhort them to continue in the faith. To exhort means to encourage or come alongside and support someone to accomplish something else. And what did he exhort them or encourage them? What did he come alongside them and push them along to accomplish? To continue, to remain in the faith. And the faith there is probably the objective truth of the gospel, or it could refer to the act of believing. 
to continue in believing. But I think it refers to the body of truth, the objective truth of the gospel. Why would Paul exhort these new disciples, these newly born-again people who are now babes in Christ? They're excited. They're happy. They've just been brought into the kingdom of God. Why would he have to say, continue? I warn you on the authority of God's word that it is a terrible reality of life in this sin-cursed world that some who begin the race to eternal life never finish. Some who enlist in the war defect to the enemy and switch sides. Some who pledge their allegiance to the gospel of Christ eventually curse, oppose, and fight against the very faith of the Son of God. There are disciples like John who leaned upon our Savior's bosom, says the disciple whom Jesus loved. But there are deceitful disciples like Judas, who Jesus pronounced against woe unto that man. It had been better if he had not been born. What happens? What happens? Our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, tells us. We all should be familiar with Matthew 13, the parable of the four soils. Some who hear the word, ignore it. Forget it. Don't respond to it at all. That's not your case. You have responded. You have not forgotten. You're not the first soil. Some hear the word and immediately receive it with joy. But when persecution or tribulation arise because of the word, by and by they're offended. They stumble. They fall away or fall to the side because of the word, because of the persecution and tribulation that go with the word. Doesn't Paul mention tribulations here? Some hear the word and apparently receive it, but care and anxieties and concerns, values of this world enter in and the deceitfulness of riches. And they choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Many of you who have professed faith in Christ are at a turning point in your lives just in a natural sense as well. You're, you're entering young adulthood. You are coming to that stage where you're going to have to make a lot of decisions. You're going to have to face an adult life. And one of the things you're probably going to do is either get a job or get married or both. And the things of this world will become necessary for you to focus your mind on. I am not able to spend the hours I could spend in the word and prayer that I used to be able to when I was single and at home. I now, I have hours, but it's the ones I force out, not the ones that just come naturally to me. Things will put a great strain upon you. And that's, that's in God's providence. You can't stop that from happening. You're not called to be a, a monk or a, a nun and go live in a cave somewhere and just read and pray, although you might feel like it now. Maybe do some of that now. You'll enjoy it. It'll be good for you. But you won't always be able to do that. And you will have cares and concerns. And you will have to make money. But will those things carry you away? Some are carried away. And this is America. We have a lot. And the more we have, the more its hooks get into our hearts. Then there are some who hear the word, receive it, understand it, and bear fruit unto eternal life. They enter glory. Some more and some less, but all real, genuine, 
ongoing fruit. Paul, by saying, continue in the faith, is just looking at the same subject that Christ was looking at, but from a different angle. He's saying, keep going. Persevere. Continue. Don't let the cares of this world choke the word. Don't let persecution or tribulation offend or stumble you. Hold fast to Christ. Is Christ worth that much to you? Is he worth enough to hang on to him when everything else is going wrong or going right? Never let Christ go. Remember this warning for the rest of your life, and if you stay in the word, you will. Some Christians don't continue. The results are fatal. Continue, carry on, press forward, forget what's behind and press on toward the goal. So Paul revisited these new believers to confirm their souls and to exhort them to continue in the faith and to encourage them to enter the kingdom through much tribulation. Exhorting them that we must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. Paul's exhortation here demands a clear view of the new believer's present condition. Where are you in the big scheme of things? Where are you? What, what, what is your place on the timeline of what God is doing? We are waiting for entrance to the kingdom of God. We're really in a big waiting room, as it were. When Christ came, he brought certain aspects of the kingdom of God. He told us about its character, its glory, its greatness. The message of the gospel could be called the message of the kingdom. But we must be clear, the fullness of the kingdom is yet to come. Just for your information, this is not heaven. And this is not the new creation. This is not glory. You have professed to be saved. You are waiting for the kingdom to come in its fullness. This around us here is the old creation, cursed, defiled. It is at war with God. And wouldn't you expect, if you're citizens of a new kingdom and you still live in the old kingdom, wouldn't you expect that old kingdom citizens would hate us? They do. We would expect that the old kingdom laws would be opposed to the new kingdom's laws. They are. We would expect old kingdom practices to be different from new kingdom practices, and they are. We would expect a mighty conflict, and guess what? There is, and that conflict is very personal because in God's wisdom, he left you in the old kingdom even in your body. Your body is old kingdom stuff. Your body is defiled. Your flesh still loves the stuff it used to love. You might say, wait, I thought that he gave me a new heart. What is this in me? The fact that you're asking that question means you have the new heart. The fact that you're saying, why this struggle? Why this fight? Why this conflict? That's a good sign. It means the spirit and the flesh are struggling, fighting. There is a tribulation going on That tribulation, that conflict goes on in your flesh, with your family, with your community, with the world, with the evil one. So now your new nature, born again by the Spirit, empowered by the truth of the word, is in mortal conflict with the old nature. Your old friends 
and all those around you. This is why Paul tells the believers they must enter the kingdom through much tribulation. That word must is really strong. It doesn't say might. It doesn't say in some cases. It says must. Who must experience tribulation? All who would enter the kingdom. We mentioned the old man. Remember Paul in Romans 7, 21, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Therefore, Paul says that by faith in Christ and the power of the Spirit, we have to be warring. Go check out Romans chapter 8. Read the whole thing and think about it. Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about killing the deeds of the body, setting our mind on spiritual things rather than sinful things. There's a tribulation inside you. But then there's the tribulation with the world. Go to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. Paul says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me and now, now here to be in me. My young brothers and sisters and my older ones too, I don't know what you will experience. I don't know specifically what I will experience in this world. So far, my experience of sufferings has been very light, very minor. But God's people throughout history have been mocked, shouted at, hated, despised, deceived, tricked, betrayed, enslaved, defrauded, tortured, burned, murdered, jailed, imprisoned, and more on their way to inherit the kingdom of God. We praise God that each of you were ready to bear testimony of faith in Christ publicly in baptism. But my question for each of you lambs in Christ, and each of us who should be more mature in Christ is, are we ready to suffer affliction, tribulations, as we prepare to enter the kingdom of God? Paul says we must. Back to Acts, Acts chapter 14. Acts 14 Paul visited, revisited these cities to confirm their souls, establish them in the truth. He, he visited them to exhort them to continue. And then he also exhorted them that they must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. And then he established church government for their spiritual good. Paul ordained elders in every congregation to, or, to govern and feed the new believers. It says in verse 23, when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Let me talk to you new believers. Old ones can listen too. God did not design for little lambs to encounter wolves all by themselves. Our God is too wise to call an eight-week-old infant to survive on its own in the wilderness. If, if one happens to be in the wilderness, it is because of the fallen condition of this world. It is not the normal pattern for God's design. Eight-week-old infants are supposed to be with their mothers. That's just a given. God intended that you would not only be spiritually connected to him, but that you would be sheltered in the care of his people, the church. Paul organized the disciples, the new believers, into churches, and then he established elders in those churches. Now, let's just do a little logic here. Hopefully, it's a simple logic. It's an if then type thing. If the church is a body of people, 
not a building, we know that. And God had Paul establish elders for each of those little groups of people. Then each group of people had a special relation to those elders that God put over them. The elders were for them. And they were under the specific care of those elders. Paul didn't establish elders for the region. He didn't establish elders of the universal church. He didn't consider himself to be adequate to oversee the individuals of all of these churches. He established elders for them in every church, each group of people. So if elders were established for the groups of people, then each of those people, the new believers, were supposed to be in a clearly defined relationship to the elders of his congregation. And we call that membership, belonging to the church. The reason why I went through that little, what seems like a very simple logical process is because there are people in our day who oppose the idea of membership. Now, we're not saying it has to take a specific form. It doesn't have to be in a big blue book with ring binding. We actually don't have a, a signed book here at Mount Zion, but we do have an official membership. The people vote members in. Those members are seen as covenanting with the body to be in submission to the elders of the church and the whole congregation. And we call that membership. And we don't know exactly how people entered into membership in the early church, but we know the people who comprised the church were under specific elders, and they could be disciplined, they could be dealt with by those elders, so therefore they belonged. They were members. So, as a new believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to think about the church as you see in the New Testament. And I urge you to commit yourself to always do all in your power to be committed to a faithful local church of Christ. You are here at Mount Zion for now. Seek membership soon so your relationship can be clear and unmistakable. If the Lord ever moves you on to another place, seek out the Lord's people there and join yourself officially, clearly, publicly with them in whatever process they use, whether it's a little red book or whether it's standing before the congregation or whatever they do, but be under that congregation. Christ ordained it. Christ is building his church. The apostles established churches. They ordained elders, and the people that the elders were over were specific people. They were members. Just like a newborn baby is not properly cared for until he or she is taken home by loving parents, so God intends each new believer to be committed to the care, government, and feeding of a local church. God has called the church to watchful guarding against bloodthirsty wolves. And because we are pushing the time, I won't go to Acts chapter 20. But in Acts chapter 20, Paul talks about the, he talks to the Ephesian elders and he talks about, as an aside, it's really interesting, he actually follows the same outline of talking about establishing believers, talking about continuing on, talking about tribulation, talking about the roles of elders, and then talking about how he commends the people to the Lord. And so it's a very interesting thing, and there's also places in the epistles where he follows this same outline. That's really interesting. So it shows that this outline is not just something Nate found, but that it shows up wherever Paul deals with the new believers. But, okay, I distracted us. 
Acts chapter 20 talks about how that wolves would come into the church. And Paul warns the elders of the Ephesian church that they, among, from among themselves, wolves would rise up. And he urges them to deal seriously and definitely with it. What are individual sheep going to do with wolves if God has not provided them with leaders, elders who are supposed to guard against them? God did not leave us in that condition. He has provided elders. He has provided churches. He has provided a structure in this world that is designed to protect and nurture and guard and build young believers, just like the family. Do families fail? Yes, but the family, abstract. God's design is good. Do churches fail? All the time. But the church, as God designed it, is wonderfully good. So don't throw out God's design just because sinful people mess it up. But not only did Paul establish church government for these new believers, he also committed them to the care of the glorified Lord Jesus Christ. This is the assurance of continuing on. In verse 23, it says, And when he had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Now I put commending them to the Lord first and then prayer and fasting last because prayer and fasting is actually something they were doing as they commended them to the Lord. So the main action there is commending them to the Lord, and then prayer and fasting is how they did it. So I'm about to get to prayer and fasting. But they commended them to the care of the glorified Lord Jesus Christ. The New Testament affirms repeatedly that God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ cares for new believers on their way to glory through tribulation. Let's go over to Acts chapter 20. That passage I mentioned where Paul talks to the Ephesian elders at the end of the chapter, well, near the end, verse 32, Paul commits the, um, he commits the, the Ephesian elders and their congregation to the care of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the care of God, the Father, and Christ. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Just as an example of him doing the same thing, committing them to the care of the living God. Churches fail. Pastors sometimes sadly fall into sin. Other members sometimes deeply wound and grieve us. Sometimes our tribulations in this old creation context reach the boiling point, and we don't know how to survive another day without losing our faith, our testimony, and our faith in Christ. The fight gets long and wearisome. You have just begun. Believe me, when the noonday sun rises and you're still running and you run out of water and your body is craving food, how do you continue the marathon? How do you continue the race when your strength is flagging? How will you stand? Ultimately, ultimately, Christ, the living Lord Jesus Christ who died on that cross and then was buried and rose again from the dead and ascended up into glory, he is the one who you have believed in and he is the one who will keep you. The Lord Jesus holds his loved ones in his hands. If you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are his sheep. And he promised, my sheep shall never perish. John chapter 10, verse 28. Paul gave his testimony of how he was absolutely certain that the living Christ would keep him. Move over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 
This Christ who has called you out of darkness into light, he will preserve you. 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's hard to find it in 1 Timothy. In verse 16, 2 Timothy 4, 16. At my first answer, apparently this is Paul standing before the Roman tribunal. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding the Lord, who is that Lord? The Lord Jesus Christ. The same Lord that while Paul was overseeing the stoning of Stephen, Stephen looked up and saw the Lord Jesus standing. Paul says, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles, Caesar's court, might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord Jesus Christ shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. How will you stand? Paul says, I'm establishing elders. I'm telling you to continue. I'm telling you you must persevere through tribulation. I'm going to establish you, confirm you in the truth, but I have to leave you. Who's going to keep you? Christ. What did you believe in? Christ. Who were you baptized in the name of? Christ. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Who will stand with you if Mount Zion falls apart? I'm not saying it will. But churches do, and Christians fall away. How? Their eyes are not on Christ. Their eyes might have been on the church, something else. They fall away. Who will stand with you if all your friends and all your family deny Christ? Christ will stand with you. Christ. That's why Paul could commend you, commend the new believers to the Lord in whom they had believed. In other words, the Lord will care for you. That's all I have to say. And then Paul committed these new believers back in Acts chapter 14. Paul committed the new believers to Christ's care by prayer and fasting. Here is a special secret of Christ's way of operating. Remember Christ dying, buried, uh, risen, and ascended. He is not simply, he didn't just do those things, as I believe our pastor Jeff mentioned on Sunday. It's not just facts that happened way back then. They're connected to us directly. Christ was in union with his people when he did those things. What was your baptism? A symbol, a sign of your union with Christ. And here, being in union with these apostles, Christ keeping his people is effected in part by Paul and Barnabas praying with fasting for them. So when we talk about being safely secured in the care of the risen Christ, we also must include that where we can, as brothers, we participate in that as we pray one for another. Now, there is no comparison between our prayers and the work of Christ. It's not that Christ does 60% and then 4,000 believers pitch in and they're able to get another 40% up there and man, you get to heaven. That is not the case. I really don't know why God lets us pray, but it is a beautiful privilege. It is amazing. And he says, it did something because it's part of his ordained method. He not only elected you to salvation, he elected, he chose, he decreed 
that your parents would pray for you, your pastor would pray for you, the people around you would pray for you, and he says, through your prayers, this has been done. And if you ask not, it will not be done. So prayer is somehow working, and yet it's God working. Our prayers didn't do anything, and yet he lets us do it. It's kind of like when you have a little baby, a little child is starting, you know, just starting to toddle around. And they say, hey, help you? And you say, yeah, come and help me. He, you don't, he's getting in your way, but you let him help you anyway. That's the way it is with our prayers. Paul prays and fasts for the believers, and he says, I'm committing you to Christ's care. Paul, you're nothing. Your prayers, they're, they're not, they don't do anything. Yeah, they do. I don't know how they do, but they do. New believers, if you are in Christ, you have been called with a high and holy calling. You are kings or queens and priests before God the Father. You've been made privileged to enter his throne room. Come often to intercede for others and find others who will pray for you. And if no one prays for you, Christ is. That's what really matters. But enter into that glorious work of prayer. God answers prayer. Keep a list. Write them down. It's amazing what you'll see. Pray for your family. Pray for this church. Pray for your neighborhood. Pray for this sinful world. Pray for the kingdom of Christ to expand and grow and cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Pray specific prayers and watch God answer. Our Lord Jesus said, and he is no liar, whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, I will do it. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Paul told the brethren to pray for him. Brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified. James and John urge us to pray for sinning brothers. If you see someone sin, pray for them. Pray, brothers and sisters, pray. As you continue in the race, in the walk, pray. Maybe you are still so young in the faith you don't feel like you can do a lot. Well, I hope the Lord gives you boldness to step out and do more. But in the meantime, you can pray. He will answer. Didn't he say, call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Jeremiah 33, 3. I'll skip the other references. So what is the point of this message? Continue. Continue. Are you a new believer? Continue. Are you an old believer? Continue. Recognize who you are. As a new believer, you are a new creature in Christ. But remember, you are young, weak, vulnerable. You need confirmed. You need strengthened. You're not what you will be, we trust. You're not what you were, but you're not what you will be. Now you need strengthening. So set aside time to spend in reading, study, hearing the word of God, memorizing, meditating, spend time with God's holy word. You are at a risk of falling continue in the faith. You are up against a formidable set of sufferings. Endure tribulation all the way to glory. Make full use of God's provision of the church. 
God gave it to you. The church wasn't my idea. The church isn't Brother Jeff's idea. The church wasn't Pastor Shelton's idea. The church is Christ's idea. He provided it for you. Make use of it. Lean on your brothers and sisters. Learn and make use of your pastor's wisdom and counsel and sermons. Take all that you can from the church. Gobble it up. Make use of it. And rest your never-dying soul on the care of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul commended those believers to Christ. Paul died. He's not there anymore. We'll all die at some point or another. If everyone forsakes you, who will keep you? Christ. Rest in him. And pray, pray, pray. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we have young ones here in the Lord. Make them strong. I pray that none of them would fall away. Lord, I know that because of our flesh, we will all fall into sin at some time or another. But I pray that their recoveries would be fast and full and that they would rest their souls entirely on you, O Lord Jesus Christ, King of the church, reign over this church and be glorified among us and make these young ones strong for your name's sake, we pray. Amen. If you would, please stand with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 23 is the benediction. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.